0: Well, if you joined us last week, you know that we are in a new series. It's a four-week series, and, and we're doing two weeks, and then I'll take a week off for Sanctity of Human Life. I've got a special uh, message and a uh, speaker next week for you, and then in the, the following two weeks, we'll finish it up. But these four weeks, I'm going to cover four core competencies for the Christian. Now, what's a core competency? It's this. If you have these four things in your life... I guarantee, guarantee, money-back guarantee that you will live a successful, that you will live a prosperous, that you will live a good Christian life. Matter of fact, as it says on the screen there, you will live the good life. Unfortunately, a lot of times when we think about the good life, we think about um, things that aren't necessarily associated associated with what Scripture tells us. Last week I shared with you the first core competency and that was confess it. Maybe one of the most, if not misunderstood, least used core competencies of a Christian in their daily walk. And that is we have to confess it. We have to confess our sins to God. And I shared with you a, a fancy word called sanctification and, and how that there's initial sanctification and then there's progress or process sanctification. Initial sanctification is when we establish that relationship with Jesus Christ. Process sanctification is when we grow in grace through the years. Now, now, I don't know if I have any here that would witness or, or say anything out loud, but most of us have changed since the day that we got saved. Amen? Amen. And so th- that change that happens is a result of us growing closer uh, to the Lord. And what I shared with you is that as you grow closer to the Lord, your confession goes from, forgive me for you fill in the blank, to start confessing the word of God, confessing what he's doing, confessing the promises. It's a very different lifestyle. This one we're frustrated and this one we're walking on cloud nine. And so if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go out, go online, go to our website, go to Facebook. You'll find where we have posted that message. And um, I would listen to it, and I would listen to it over and over again and until it becomes a part of your life. And I'll tell you this, that the hardest part about confessing our sins is to accept the grace that God has given to us. You know, most of us, when we think about confessing our th- sins, we think we've got to change, that we've got to stop doing, we've got to start doing. And what you don't realize is when you accept God's grace, all that happens naturally. It's when we don't accept his grace, we start living out what I shared with you last week was dead works, and when I say dead works, again, I'm not talking about uh, doing things outside of this church. I'm talking about there's a lot of dead works that happen inside our campus. Where we're doing things for God in his name, and yet they're really not from the right heart. And so with that, let me take you to our verse uh, for this uh, series. And it's 1 Timothy 4 and verses 6 through 8 I'm going to read to you. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you're the brothers and sisters, today I'm you. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And here's what I want to tell you, that church, that when you leave here today, if you will point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit. And I know a lot of you this time of year are probably doing more training for the body than you'll do the rest of the year. But it's okay. And continue to do that. But as a Christian, what we need to remember is this. It's limited. But the scripture tells us, but godliness is beneficial in every way. Why? Since it holds the promise for the present life. And not only the present life, but for the life to come. The reality, though, is as I take us from Confess It last week into the, uh, the core competency of Read It this week, the reality is this, that there is an attack on the Bible. The Bible that you carry around, if you watch news, if you go online, you are going to find out that there is a very real attack. And folks, it didn't start this year. It didn't start three years ago. It has been in place before the first one was written down on paper. Here's what they'll tell you. They'll tell you that this Bible, you know, uh, there's two uh, extremes. They'll either say that this is just another book. It's just a historical book. Or they'll go to the other side and they'll say that it's fairy tales. I shared with you uh, just last week, a very prominent uh, uh, on TV, um, somebody who talked about how that Christians, you know, you can't trust them because they be- they've been taught and believe fairy tales. Well, you know, this week I came across a GQ article, and, and here was the title of the article. 21 books you don't have to read. Now I know that the fact that it made it to this message, you probably realize what one of those books was. It's the Bible. And here are some of the words that the uh, author of that article wrote down. It says, the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. And then he said, those who have read it, there are some good points. But overall, it's certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. Well, let me just uh, correct the record here. And, and that first of all, it's not what man has produced. What I hold in my hand and what you have before you is a collection of 66 different books. These 66 different books have been written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. It was written on, in three different languages on three different continents. Well, what's the most amazing thing about this, this book is that it has one message. No matter where you go, no matter when you hear, well, there's so many different contradictions. Folks, don't believe that for a second. Study to show yourself approved and you'll find out that there's no contradictions. There is nothing but where the Bible itself um, reiterates and repeats and, and demonstrates that throughout these multiple different inputs, there was one author. And that one author was God himself. The sad reality, though, is that as you think about, as I think about that article, there are many Christians who seldom read their Bibles. They seldom take advantage of this incredible core competency, this incredible Christian discipline. And so what I would do is ask you, if you would open up your Bible, and if you didn't bring one with you, there's one sitting right in front of you, and if you would open up to Psalm chapter 1. And what's interesting about the book of Psalms is that um, the book of Psalms actually is what many have called Jesus' hymn book. These are songs that were written in praise. These are songs that were written like prayers to God. And so uh, in Psalm chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked... Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If you have your note taker, you'll notice that uh, what I've done is I put down some of the words that are in here. And and what I want to do is I just want to walk back through these six verses, and I want to pull out some of these words and just share them with you, and then demonstrate that this core competency of reading God's word is critical to our daily lives. The first word is blessed. Now, a lot of times when we see the word blessed, we think happy. Somebody who's enjoying things. But the reality is when you look at the word blessed in the 57 times that it's in this book, you'll find out that it means more than just happy. It means happy regardless of the present circumstances. See, that changes things, doesn't it? Matter of fact, if one of the verses in Hebrews says this, that Moses chose to follow God's plan for his life rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And so um, when it comes to being happy, you want to look at the source of the happiness because the source of the happiness that, that Moses fled from was temporary. It had a season. It was going to expire. The source that I want to share with doesn't expire. The source that the blessedness that happens to this uh, man here in Psalm 1 never ever goes out of order. Well, not only does he say blessed is the man who he starts what I call a progression, a a threefold progression. and, And here's what happens. He says, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Now, watch this progression because it's a threefold progression. You see walks, stands, sits. That's a progression. Then you see counsel, the way, and the seat. That's a progression. And then you see wicked, sinners, and scoffers. I'm here to tell you that that's a progression. When I think about those first three, the walk, you know, uh, here's somebody who walks and listens to um, the wicked. Now, When we use that word wicked, we're thinking a little bit differently than what its uh, intent here is in Scripture. See, really it just means the ungodly. Those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's what happens. There are people who claim the name of Jesus and yet they listen to what the ungodly, they listen to what the wicked tell them more than they listen to what God's telling them. Well, then the next progression is that he stands in the way of the sinners. Now, if you look at these three words, obviously you know what standing is. That means no longer is he just going by and listening. This time he's become a part of that crowd. And if you look at that word way, this is the way they do things. This is their lifestyle. And now, when you see the word sinner here, trust me, the wicked are sinners. But when you see it here, it's referring to a specific sin. Because what happens is you first start listening to those who do not claim the name of Jesus. You start hearing what they say. And then one day you start living like they live. They tell you that it's okay to do this or not do that. in contrary to what God's word says. And at first you just hear it. And then next thing you know you start doing it. And then the third progression is that he sits in the seat of the scornful. Uh, have you ever gone to somebody's house the first time and matter of fact when you get in there usually they have to say please sit down why because you're kind of nervous you're you you know you're not used to this you don't know who's where's their seat which is the right one if i'm going to sit down i'm going to be told to get back up but this person that is referring to here in psalm one this person is comfortable they, they just, you know, uh, I think about this of, of two people going over to a house. One's been there. He's familiar. Man, he just throws himself on the couch, feet up on the, why? Because he's a friend. He's been there many times. The person who's not, they're kind of standing off and just wondering what they should do until somebody says, hey, sit down, man. Well, this person, has, is, they're beyond, hey, sit down, man. This person knows exactly. They, they're the ones kicking their feet up on the coffee table. But look at the description of them. They're scoffers. I'd like to tell you about uh, just this past week. On the, during the Golden Globes, there was a, an actress named Michelle Williams. And Michelle Williams made this statement. Um, the, the article says, pregnant actress shouts her abortion at Golden Globes. Hollywood elites go wild with applause. That's what scoffers do. Not only do they live in sin, but they brag about it. They're proud about it. They shout it from the rooftops. And, and when they shout it, they shout it in a very um, articulate way. If, if I read the article, it says this here, that um, this actress attributed her success in Hollywood because she got that abortion. See, if she would have had that child, that child would have held her back. That child would have kept her from getting different jobs. That child would have changed her lifestyle. And, and she goes on and says, I'm grateful to have lived in a moment in our society where choice exists. Because as a woman and as girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. I would argue with that, but, but that's not what I'm here to talk to you today about. She says, I tried my very best to live my li- a life of my own making. Not just a series of events that happened to me, like that was out of the blue but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over, sometimes messy and scrawling, sometimes careful and precise, but one that I had carved with my own hand. And I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose, to choose when to have my children with whom, when I felt supported and able to balance our lives, knowing, as all mothers know, that the scales must and will tip towards our children. You hear what she just said? That I knew that I was going to care for that child more than I cared about my career. And she recognized that. Now I know my choices might look different than yours, but thank God or whomever you pray to that we live in a country founded on the principle that I am free to live by my faith and you are free to live by yours. That's what a scoffer sounds like. They take the very word of God, they argue that it's wrong. And they argue that it's wrong very loudly in a very public way. So I asked the question, why not in this Psalm 1, why not just use a positive instead of a negative the way he did? Why couldn't God in his wisdom have written that he walks in the counsel of the godly instead of saying he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked? Why? Well, it's in the next word that I want to pull out, and that's delight. And before you get to light, you see that but there. And the reason why is that but does a change of direction from the conversation. And instead of talking about what the wicked look like, instead of talking about what the sinners look like, instead of talking about what the, um, those who scoff look like, he's now going to change the direction and, and he's going to show them something different. And he uses this word delight. And I want you to understand when you hear walk When you hear stand, when you hear sit, those are all external. Those are things you can see. Those are things that you can know. I know you're walking. I know you're standing. I know you're sitting. Can't deny it. But the word he uses here is delight. This is internal. This isn't something that, like, if you're delighting, some of you, you're not going to convince me. I'm looking at your face. And nope. mm -mm. Matter of fact, matter of fact, when I see the clock get to a certain time, I know your delight goes down. And then, as I say, in conclusion, the delight goes back up. And some of those means the light comes back on. (laughs) Well, the delight that God is talking about is something internal. It's something that you hold precious, that you value, that you invest time in, that you invest energy into. And the question I would ask all of us to answer, and that is this, what are we delighting in? Are we delighting in the counsel of those people outside of us? Are we delighting in the threads that we see on Facebook and some of the comments that are there? Are we delighting in what God has put into your heart? Only you get to answer that question. A matter of fact, if we go a little bit further in there, we see that the, the law of the Lord is what he delights in. You see, the law of the Lord here is interesting because when we think of the law of the Lord, we think of the Ten Commandments. When we think of the law, of the Lord, we think of the thou shalt or thou shalt not. But really, when you see this phrase, it means the instruction. God's instruction. When David wrote this psalm, he only had five books that were written. And they weren't the five that you like, oh, goody, goody, it's the new year, I get to read Deuteronomy. That's all he had. Numbers, ooh, I can't wait to read about all those genealogies. But it says, the man delights in God's instruction. David had five books. We've got 66. Go a little bit further, and then you see the word and. Not only does he delight in God's instruction, and on his instruction, he meditates day and night. Now, I'm not going to re-preach the series, but um, in the fall, I preached the series 40 Days in the Word. And and let me just ask this question by show of raise of hands. How many people, as you went through that series, you found yourself reading God's Word a little more? More than you did before? Yeah, good stuff, right? But let me just say here that um, wonderful, great thing. I'm glad, I'm glad that that I dug into God's word even more than I did before that. Because that's what we want to do. We want to meditate on it. But the word I really want to focus on is the day and night. You see, the day and night here is a figure of speech. I don't want you to raise your hand, but those of you who raised your hand or those of you who wanted to raise your hand, let me ask you this. Are you still reading God's word as much as when we were going through that series 40 days in the word i hope and i pray that the answer is yes and that you could shoot your hand up but i, I please don't i don't want you, people lying here and sunday you see this day and night is a figure of speech does it literally mean that we should read god's word day and night well yes it does It means that you should wake up in the morning and read god's word It means that maybe uh, when you pull your visor down that there's some of God's word right there. It means that everywhere you, I mean, some of your homes I love walking through because on this wall there's, there's scripture. On this wall there's scripture. What it means is that your lifestyle is one of God's word. That you put it out there. You keep it in front of you all the time. So what happens to this person who delights in God's instruction? What happens to this person who uh, meditates day and night on his instructions? Well, verse 3 tells us this. It says that he is like a tree. Now, folks, it's not an accident that he used the word tree. Because when you think about a tree, you think about something that's perpetual. You think about something that just continues to grow until it dies. Matter of fact, um, you probably wouldn't want a tree that if it stayed the size that you planted. We call those bushes. I think about as I go back to my grandma's house that um, I remember one summer when I was about nine years old that they planted two trees. And just last year when I was there, that tree now is 150 feet tall. Provides all kinds of shades, big, beautiful leaves. And I remember one day when that tree to a nine-year-old boy just came up to my waist. That's what the Bible promises. The Bible promises that when we delight in God's word, when we meditate on it day and night, we become like a tree. We see perpetual growth. Matter of fact, the way that I would describe this is that our religiousness, and I I hate to use the word religion, but we use it so much I can't avoid it here. Our religiousness pervades every part of our life. I don't know if you know this, but if you look at a tree and you look at the branches and the leaves, if you were to flip it upside down, the root structure looks just like that. And so when you see a tree that goes out 50 feet and um, 100 feet tall down in its root structure, most likely you still see a 50 feet span and going 100 feet deep. And the question is, when God looks at our lives, does he see the tree down underneath the surface or just here on Sunday mornings? Not only is he a tree, but it tells about a special kind of tree, a tree that's planted by the streams of water. See, a tree that's planted by the streams of water can resist drought. A tree that's planted by the streams of water can resist the storms of life. And and if the storms of life tear you down, it's because the word of God wasn't what you were digging into. It wasn't something that you were delighting in. It's not something that you were meditating on. Remember, blessed is in spite of our circumstances, we're happy. And not only... Is this planted by the streams of water? And you think of streams of water, you can't help but think about the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is when you keep those words and when you meditate on them, he does something in your heart and he touches you and he changes you. I love what I'm seeing where people are going to read through the Bible this year. And I hope that everyone that makes that commitment follows through on that. But I would tell you that it's more important that if, even if you don't read the whole Bible, that you at least take one verse and make it a part of your life. So, so a verse that, that I call my life verse is Psalm 127.1, and it says this. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. There's many times where I'm doing something. I'm raising my family. There's many times where I'm working on something in my job. There's many times here as the pastor where I can start doing things in my own power, in my own energy, in my own desire. And my prayer is that God will allow me to surrender that. That I will let God build Temple Baptist Church. That I will let God build my family. That I will let God take care of those jobs. Because it says that when I try to do it, I do it in vain. When we let God do it, it's totally different. A little bit further down in the verse, it says this. That yields its fruit in its season. Boy, I got a harsh reality about what it means to get fruit in its season. Carrie and I were living down in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. That just sounds good, doesn't it? (laughs) Fort Walton Beach. And here's what's interesting is there's no beach in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. All right? So just in case you're looking, there's a bunch of beaches there. None of them are Fort Walton Beach. But we're living down in Fort Walton Beach, and one of the things that I know that Carrie loved to do was go eat at Thai restaurants. And so I wanted to surprise her one night, and I said, hey, we're going out to eat. And I found this place called the Thai House. And it literally was a house. Somebody, I mean, you go and drive into the neighborhood and you park in somebody's driveway. And they converted that into a restaurant. And we fell in love with the Thai House restaurant. And we had been eating there many times. And, you know, this was something that we would try to do on a regular basis. And then one time we ate. And I, uh, they, they'd asked you, how hot do you want it? <laughs> there was American hot. And then there was Thai hot. And one day I got bold and I said, I want Thai hot. And I got it and I ate it and flames were coming out of my ears. When I coughed, there was like little puffs of smoke coming out of my mouth. And the, and the, the waitress could tell that I was in distress. She kept bringing the water and I kept, you know, did everything but poured over my head. And then at the end of the dinner, she could still see that I'm hurting. I mean, you know, I'm sweating and I shouldn't be. And she says, would you like a dessert? And I'm like, I don't think I can put another thing in my mouth that doesn't catch on fire. She goes, I've got just the thing. And it was called sticky rice. And she brought out sticky rice, which is rice and milk. And then it was covered with chilled mangoes. Now, I wasn't sure if I liked mangoes or not. I'm, I'm a guy who doesn't like to try new things, and, and I don't know that I had ever eaten a mango before that day. And now I, like, beat myself up for ever going that long in my life not eating mangoes because I fell in love with mangoes. Amen. That, that milk and that rice and that chilled mango just cooled my mouth down. And so a week later, or no, no, I'm sorry, a month later, we came back. I ordered the same Thai hot. And then I, like, presumptuously said, and I'll take some sticky rice, please, with mango. And she says, oh, mangoes are not in season anymore. I didn't catch anything on fire. But here's what I realized. In season means something. See, the problem is when we think about our Christian walk and we think about the fruit that the Bible talks about in our lives that should be there hanging from our trees, we want it like I do now. I want want the mango now. I don't care. Give me some mango. Chill it. Put it on sticky rice. And yet God tells you it's not in season yet. You just hold on, Ronnie. If you just hang on for another 3 months, it's going to come here. Because have you ever gotten your favorite fruit and it wasn't in season? Yes. It's it's not that soft, scrumptious. I mean, I think about peaches. I like peaches too. Ooh, got a little fuzz going on that peach. And then and then like when you touch it, it feels so soft, but not too soft. And then when you take a big bite, like juice is just like Go down your cheek and chest. And... But then sometimes we get a peach. And, and Carrie usually warns me, I don't think they're ready yet. And do I wait until next week or next month? No, no, no ma'am, I don't. Let me show you what ready looks like. <sighs> and I feel like I'm biting into an apple. That's not what a peach there's no fuzz. It's not soft. And when I bite, there's no juice. Matter of fact, I left a tooth in it. <laughs> Many of you today are, are frustrated because your walk with the Lord isn't bearing fruit. And God's got you going through a season that's rough. God's got you in a place that you don't want to be. Matter of fact, you just like to get out of that place right now. And God's telling you, hang on. Keep delighting in my word. Keep meditating on it day and night because when it comes in season, the fruit is going to be also incredible. I think of uh, the, the couple that stayed up, stood up here with uh, Kathy. For seven years, they prayed for her. Can you say that? Seven. seven. Some of us won't pray for something Or someone in our lives seven days for seven years. Oh, is that fruit sweet? Yeah. You should have seen the smile on his face that I just saw. And I'm here to tell you that there's fruit that God is developing in your life. That if you'll just stay faithful, if you'll stay plugged into that, that stream of living water, if you'll stay delighting and you'll stay meditating on God's instructions... That one day that fruit is going to come off that tree. And somebody's going to taste it and it's going to change their life. Genesis 39 and verses 3 and 23. I'd encourage you, uh, um, I'm just going to read this. It won't pop up on the screen. But this was talking about Joseph. If you look at the, the, the rest of this verse, there's the very last phrase says this. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, when you read that in the Hebrew, do you know what all means? All. Everything. And so a good example is this in Genesis 39 where it says this in verse 3. It said, the Lord caused all he did to be successful. That was Joseph. And then in verse 23 it says, whatever he did, the Lord made to succeed. Who was that? Joseph. Now let me just ask you those Bible scholars out there. Where was Joseph when this happened? Prison. Do you think Joseph wanted to be in prison? Do you think Joseph needed to be in prison? Well he did because of God's will. But you'd had a hard time convincing him of that. But here's what the Bible tells us. When we get plugged into it. All that we do will prosper. See the problem is that. Your perspective needs to change. Because here's what happens. You want to read God's word and you want to jam for the, the, the test. But then you want the job to prosper. You, you, don't, you don't care about everything else. You just want the job to prosper. I'd like that pay raise, Lord. Thank you very much. Or if it's not the job, you want the bank account to prosper. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's name it and claim it while we're here today. And we think that, well, if I just if I read God's word a little more, my bank account's going to blow up. Or we want our personal record, whatever it is. It could be physically, it could be emotionally, it could be spiritually. And we think that, all right, God, I'm doing this, so you got to do this for me. But that's not what God said. God said, if you'll delight in my word and in my instructions, if you will meditate on it day and night, all you do will prosper. Not just the job, not just the bank account, not just the personal record. God will take everything and make it prosper for you. The problem is that we have to make it a part of everything in our lives. But the reality is this, and and I'm not preaching at you. I'm I'm preaching a sermon that I lived out. And that is sometimes we don't live like we talk here on Sunday morning when we're at our job. Matter of fact, if they had to indict us on being a Christian, most of us would go off scot-free. But when it becomes a part of our life, when it reaches down into the root system of our lives, when everything that we touch is based off of God's word and God's promises and God's instruction, that's when everything you do will prosper. Quit selling yourself short and quit selling your God short. He's got so much greater things that he wants to do in your life and yet you want to settle for this one little area in your life. And the problem, folks, is that because it's just that one little area, you only give God one little area of your life. And what he wants is everything. And as we jump over to verse 4, it says this. There's a contrast now. The wicked are not so. What does it mean? The wicked are not like the tree. The wicked don't have a root system that goes down and spreads out like we see the branches and the leaves. The wicked are not like that, but they're like the chaff. What's chaff look like? It's rootless, it's fruitless, it's lifeless. Now, I know what you're saying. Wait a second, Pastor Ronnie. I know some wicked people, and I mean that by the word wicked. And they're prospering just fine. Thank you very much. And I'll have you know that I'm not wicked and I'm not prospering. Put that into your sermon. Well, thank you very much. Good idea. I'm going to add it right now. The reason why you think that is because you don't have an eternal perspective. Here's the harsh truth. That the chaff, the wicked, at best, they've got 80 years of living like that. Most likely, it's really a season of 20 years that they'll enjoy. Think about some of the most famous people where everything... They, I mean, I think about Elvis Presley. Had anything he wanted... And how did he end his life? Killed himself with drugs. You start going down the list of Hollywood stars who were given everything, the most successful, whatever they did, and many of them give up their life. They take it. The season was great. But it's so much more than that. Are you more concerned about the 80 years that you're going to get to spend here in life? And some of you are on borrowed time. Or are you more concerned about eternity? And I'm here to share with you, you need to change your perspective. I think many of us are familiar with the song Amazing Grace. And there's one verse that says this. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Not everybody is going to be able to sing that verse. And verse 5 says it this way. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You see, God could have wrote those verses very differently. Instead of saying blessed, he could have said, cursed is the man who walks in the counsel of the ungodly. Cursed is the man who sits in the seat of the scornful. Ladies and gentlemen, judgment's coming. And when judgment comes, what's going to happen is the wheat and the chaff are going to be separated. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says it this way. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now watch this. Philippians 2, 10 11 are of stark contrast. They take everything that's addressed in Psalm 1 and verses 1 through 3. And it turns it around in the New Testament. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. They're not going to be standing. They're not going to be there in defiance of God when the day of judgment comes. And then it shows us, where are these people? All of these people. It gives us three locations. In heaven, those who have died with, uh, in the name of Jesus, they are now to- today with him. Or they are on earth, that's us right now. Or they are under the earth. Those who die without Jesus Christ, Today go to hell. And the verse continues and it says every tongue will confess. See that's the scoffer. For the 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 years that they scoffed, that they made fun of, that they ridiculed the Bible and they ridiculed God's instruction, one day they will confess I was wrong. Verse 6 says it this way. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Did you hear that? The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Romans 8, 28. This is one of the verses that we quote so often. And we miss it. We miss the point. It says this. We know that for those who love God, all things. What's the word all mean? Oh, that's right, everything. All things work together for good, for those who are the called, according to his purpose. See, the problem is that we read that and we think that that means that it's going to work out the way we want it to. That's the the way, I mean, I don't know what translation you're, you're reading, but if you're like me, you make up a couple on the way. That's not what it says. It says all things work out for good. To them that are the called according to his purpose. You see, when you look at the righteous and the wicked that are listed here on this Psalm 1, you'll find out that the only difference between the righteous and the wicked is not that the righteous are good, it's not that the righteous deserve better, it's not that the righteous uh, live a better life, it's that the righteous have a relationship with the Lord. And the only thing that makes the wicked wicked is that they don't have a relationship with the Lord. Trust me, the wicked have not done anything more than anyone in here would raise their hand to. We're all guilty. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. What are we going to do about it? Well, I'll close today with three simple admonitions. And that's when it comes to God's word, when it comes to the the fact of I want you to, to read it, here's what we should do. You should read God's word daily. I appreciate those of you who raised your hand that when we were doing 40 days in the word that you were reading God's word more and I would tell you that don't stop now. It's not over with. Not only that, but I would tell you that you need to study God's word with fervor. You need to dig into God's word. You need to pull it apart. You need to examine it. Just like as we went through these six verses and we pulled out words and we looked at them, what do they mean? And there's so much more than that one word. And then the third thing that we have to do, we have as Christians, when it comes to this third core competence or this core competency of reading it, we have to make it a part of our daily life. Day and night we need to be in God's word. If you would go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads just listen to the words that I'm about to tell you. There's a Bible verse, John six sixty three, and it says this. It is the spirit of life who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Today is your opportunity to plug in to the streams of water. That's promised in Psalm 1. Today is your opportunity to allow your tree to blossom and to grow higher and farther than it's ever done before. Today is your opportunity to get back on track so that your fruit will be ready in its season. Psalm 34, eight says it this way, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I would encourage you today, take refuge in God. Take refuge in this promise in Psalm 1. Make your life around the word of God. I know it might not make sense. And I know that you're like thinking, is this some kind of magic that if, if I'll just read this, then hocus pocus, poof, everything goes better. Well, for some of you, yes. And for some of you, no. Because that's not what your fruit looks like. But you've got to stay plugged in to the streams of water. You've got to stay committed to God. You see that actress, uh, Michelle Williams, the very words that I did life of my own making, one day she's gonna stand in judgment. And one day she's gonna have to give an account for those words. The only difference between some in this room today and Michelle Williams is that Michelle Williams put it out there in front of everybody on national TV. Some of you probably have said the very same words, and you—that I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to figure this out, and when it when it all gets said and done, we'll see. But when it all gets said and done, folks, it's too late. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to wwwtvccentraliacom forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.